A few years ago, the minister of the Trinity RP Church in Belfast did a pulpit swap with the minister in America for a couple of months. So, so the, the minister in, in Belfast went to America and preached there for a couple of months and the American minister came over. Uh, the American minister's wife is probably more well known than the minister. Her name is Megan Hill. Uh, she's the editor of the Gospel Coalition website and generally a helpful Christian website. They had an article a few years ago that Hannah Clark wrote about Wilfred, uh, a a little premature baby that we we prayed much about here. And uh, this Megan Hill, she's written a number of books, including one called A Place to Belong. And its subtitle, uh, which tells you what it's about, is Learning to Love the Local Church. Learning to Love the Local Church. Uh, She begins her her book by saying that as she was writing it, there was a house for sale around the corner from where she was living. And there was a sign on the lawn, uh, not just your typical for sale sign, but a sign that said, I'm gorgeous inside. I'm gorgeous inside. And she says that the message was surprising because from the street, the house looks thoroughly run down. Uh, the, the roof looks like it won't survive another winter's snow. Uh, the, the driveway is full of weeds. The bushes are too big. The windows are too small. But she says that that sign encourages her to believe that there's more to the house than meets the eye. And that is a little bit like the church. Uh, uh, using the word church to, to refer, uh, as it refers to in the Bible, not to, to the, the, the building, but to the people. Uh, and at first glance, the, the church, the, the household of God, as it's called in Scripture, it looks very ordinary. A group of unremarkable people committed to a largely invisible mission. Uh, maybe that would be uh, 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 something good to put on, the, uh, on a church sign. Unremarkable people committed to a largely invisible mission. Uh, but but, it, but it, I don't think you would attract too many people in. Uh, and yet, uh, as uh, she goes on to remind us in the book, the, the church has more beauty and more value than we can see with physical eyes. The Bible tells us that the church is a a radiant bride, a a spiritual house made with living stones, a pillar and a buttress of the truth, and the very body of Christ himself. Uh, And so this series of sermons is aimed to help us see the church as Jesus sees it. I've called this sermon series Love Your Church uh, based on, on the book of the same name um, uh, and there are uh, copies available. I, I can, can, can get you one for, for a fiver if, if you want one to, to read along with the sermon series. Uh, so so the, the book is, uh, and the sermon series is to try and encourage us to, to, to love uh, our church but we must uh, never forget that the church is ultimately Jesus' church. It's his bride and he loves her far more than we do. And as Jesus' people, we must learn to hate what he hates. Uh, uh, so sin, we must hate sin uh, and we must love what he loves. Uh, and that includes the church. And today we're coming to the subject of welcoming uh, thinking of eight great things about being a church member. The first was belonging, and now we come to welcoming. And um, we're going to think about this welcoming aspect of church under two headings. Seeing firstly the need to welcome one another, and then secondly the impact 
of welcoming one another. So firstly, the need to welcome one another. One of the great ironies of church life is that at times the churches that are most keen to see new people come in uh, and which perhaps pray most regularly for people to be saved can actually be pretty bad at welcoming new folk when they do come in. Newcomers can at times be greeted with suspicion. Uh, Few, if any, make the effort to talk to them in some churches, and I've been in churches like that. It it can seem in places as if the attitude is, well, give it a few months and see if they keep coming, and maybe if they do, maybe I'll, I'll think about talking to them then if they're going to stick around. And yet, of course, if someone comes to church for the first time and no one speaks to them, uh, the chances of them coming back the the next week are surely slim. Uh, And this need to to welcome one another, it doesn't just apply to newcomers, because churches can have, have cliques, they can have different groups, there can be those who only ever speak to certain people and not others. And so whether in our attitude to the new person who comes in the door for the first time or our attitude to to those who are here at church every week, failure here has serious consequences. Uh, And we'll see that today. Uh, But on the other hand, being a congregation where people are welcomed into a joyful church family is a tremendous witness to the gospel. Now, perhaps someone will, will raise an objection at the start and say, well, it doesn't matter whether, whether anyone speaks to you or not when you, when you come to church. You should be coming to hear the word of God. Whether a church is friendly or unfriendly doesn't really come into it. But it's not actually the case that everyone coming to church is coming to hear the word of God, is it? Uh, that may have been the case for, 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 for many of us at a time. Uh, perhaps someone comes to church because their parents come or their their spouse comes or because someone has invited them and they're curious or or because they don't like saying no Uh, maybe someone's life circumstances means that on a particularly a particular Sunday morning they find themselves in church and they don't plan to be back the next week Uh, There are a a myriad of reasons why people, uh, particularly unbelievers, may may end up in a church. Uh, And it may not be because they're interested in the message. But even if they come for the, the wrong reasons, so to speak, if when they come they find a group of people from very different backgrounds but who receive, accept and welcome one another, Well, think of the impact that that might have by God's grace. It might just be enough to get them to actually start listening to what is being preached. So so we can't say it doesn't matter whether we welcome people because people should be in church to to hear God's word. Uh, Many people come to church with absolutely no intention of listening to the message being preached. But a friendly interest, a friendly welcome from people who take a genuine interest in them may be the very thing that the Holy Spirit uses uh, to get them to start listening. But there's a a second reason as well why why we can't just say, well, people should be coming to to hear the word of God uh, and that's all that matters. And that is because the very word of God itself tells us that we're to welcome people 
So if we're to say, well, well, people should come because they value the word of God. Well, if we value the word of God, we will welcome people. Uh, we, we read it in Romans 15, verse 7. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Yes, that's speaking primarily about our attitude to, to fellow Christians. Uh, we, we don't want to, to, to pull the verse out of context but how do we know if the person who comes in for the first time is a believer or not? If our default attitude is to be unfriendly to, to newcomers, then sooner or later we'll find ourselves becoming, being unfriendly to, to a fellow believer who comes through the door because we assume they're an unbeliever. But even apart from that, if we're told to welcome one another, does that mean that we're, we're not to welcome a, an unbeliever? Would that not fly in the face of Jesus' command to, to give a banquet and not invite our friends or our family, but to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind? God is concerned with what we do with those who come into church for the first time. In fact, God is more concerned with what we do with those who come into church for the first time than many churches are. Uh, we see this very clearly in James chapter 2. Uh, James writes, we, we read it earlier, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Uh, no partiality. Don't treat one person better than another. Uh, James there gives the example of the man with the gold ring who, who comes in, uh, the fine clothing, uh, and at the very same time, a man with shabby clothing comes in, perhaps someone who, who smells a bit as well. And James tells us that if we say to the rich man, sit here in a good place, but we say to the poor man, well, stand over there or sit down at my feet, then you've become judges with evil thoughts. And that should shock us, I think. I'm not sure how you would have defined evil if someone had asked you when you come in. As Christians, we, we can tend to talk as if evil is mostly out there. But actually, God's word calls professing Christians evil, judges with evil thoughts, if we don't welcome new people appropriately. As Tony Merida, the author of the Love Your Church book, puts it, an unwelcoming stance is not just a flaw or a weakness, it is evil. Now perhaps we might not be tempted to differentiate between people based on how well off they seem. But are we more likely to, to go and talk to someone if we think that they are a believer? Or if we think, well, well... I will know people that that person knows and so I'll go and talk to them because we'll have that in common. Are we more likely to go over and speak to the family who come into church who are well dressed and carrying Bibles rather than the individual who comes in who's clearly not used to being in church? Because if it's a choice between the two if we only have time to speak to, to one of them before church starts, well, surely the Christian family can wait. 
and Tony Merida tells about the occasion when he spoke at an evangelistic event for young people held in a church on a Friday and Saturday night. And then he was invited as well to, to, to come and speak to the whole church on the Sunday morning. On the Saturday night, a teenage girl who wasn't from a church background was converted. The next morning, her first ever time at a Sunday service, she came in, she sat down in a pew, and then she was asked by two church members to, to, who, who, who rudely told her, you're in our seats, find another one. And it's not hard to, to imagine that happening in churches, but it is actually evil because it's a failure to welcome the stranger. If us ever sitting in our normal pew becomes more important than, than a new person in church for the first time, then we have absolutely lost the plot. So we need to welcome one another because God tells us to. But he gives us a, a reason as well. And that is that we need to welcome one another because Christ has welcomed us. If we as Christians refuse to forgive others, it's because we, we forget how much God has forgiven us. And if we as Christians don't do a good job at welcoming others, it's because we forget the welcome that God has shown to us. If you turn back just one chapter to Romans 14, uh, look how, how Paul puts it here in Romans 14 verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Why? Uh, we're given the reason at the end of verse 3. For God has welcomed him. Welcome him, verse 1. Why? End of verse 3. For God has welcomed him. Uh, and we have the same reasoning here in chapter 15. 15 verse 7, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. So how has Christ welcomed us? Well, if you have been born again, he has welcomed you despite knowing what you are really like. Perhaps you know what it's like to be rejected even by those whom you thought you could count on the most. But the believer can say with the psalm writer, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me in. Jesus welcomes us while others reject us. Jesus also welcomes us despite knowing what we're really like. He knew what we were like before we were Christians. And yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he knows what we're like even as Christians. Uh, as those who fail in so many ways to live up to the high calling that we have. And yet he welcomes us. And he's longing to welcome us into heaven. In fact he went to the cross for us so that where he is we may be also. He went to the cross for us so that where he is, we may be also. Uh, there's a, a lovely little illustration of this in the, the, the lesser read book of Philemon. It's tucked away just before Hebrews. Uh, it's the Apostle Paul writing to Onesimus, uh, 
or uh, writing to uh, Philemon, who's a converted slave owner, ab- about his runaway slave called Onesimus. Onesimus had become a Christian after he'd run away. Uh, the letter of, of Philemon is a letter that Paul sends back with Onesimus to Philemon, to his slave owner. And Paul tells Philemon, Receive him as you would receive me. Receive this runaway slave as you would receive the great apostle Paul. And Jesus says the same thing about us to his father. He asks his father, Receive him, receive her as you would receive me. It's the same word translated in Romans as welcome. Welcome one another, accept one another, receive one another as God in Christ has received you. Sometimes we might be reluctant to go and talk to a new person in church because of of something we suspect about what they're like. We may be right in that suspicion or, or we may not be. But God didn't just suspect our sins. He knew all about them. And yet he accepted us. And if we have known that acceptance, who are we not to welcome others? As Paul himself puts it, if God has welcomed someone, who are we not to welcome them? A preacher once asked his congregation to put their hands up if they wanted to see the church grow in numbers. And of course everyone did. But then he asked a follow-up question. And this was a significant one because this was a mostly white church in a very diverse area in the States. And he asked them, what if 75% of that growth came from non-white people? And at that point, some in the congregation started to wriggle awkwardly. Uh, One man walked out the door. Now, perhaps that seems very far from our own situation. But there have been churches where people have left because they didn't like the kind of people who were starting to come in. They're not the, the kind of people that they wanted to be in church with. As someone has put it, do we really want to grow or do we want people who just look like us and share our interests, opinions and class? So firstly, this morning, the need to welcome one another. But then secondly, the impact of welcoming one another, the impact of welcoming one another. What impact will it have if we as a church receive and accept people who are very different from us? Well, we're told in in this verse, one impact that it will have. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Why? How, How does the verse finish? For the glory of God. What impact will it have if we welcome people who come from very different backgrounds than we do? It will lead to God being glorified. Because only God's grace can explain that welcome. What, we, what we're looking at today, it's not so much now you're a Christian, this is the moral behaviour that God expects of you. That, that's true in a sense, but it doesn't go far enough. What we've been looking at today is, is, is far more than expected moral behaviour. 
rather first and foremost welcoming one another like this is evidence of a supernaturally changed heart it's evidence of a supernaturally changed heart if we don't like the idea of walking across the church to someone who who's new and who, who looks nothing like us if we don't like the idea of sitting down at a table at church lunch with with someone we have nothing in common with we're very unlikely to do it just because someone tells us that we should. Uh, what we need first and foremost is a new heart with new desires, with, with a, a love for those who are new, those who, who don't know anyone else, those who are on their own. And only God can give us that. And if he does give us that, uh, and when one of the results is that we welcome, uh, we welcome one another, not out of duty, but because we're so profoundly impacted by what he's done for us, then that brings glory to God. As God makes us more and more into a group of people who, who despite all our differences, are united by the gospel, that will testify to the power of the gospel and it will bring glory to God. So the first impact of welcoming one another is that it brings glory to God. But surely there will be another related impact as well. And that is that unbelievers will sit up and take notice. Unbelievers will, will sit up and take notice because when we live this out, we're showing the world what the kingdom of God is like and how very different it is from from the world system. Our world likes to think of it itself as diverse, as tolerant, but it is skin deep, it is shallow, it is superficial. Many companies pride themselves on how diverse they are. Uh, when Apple launches a new iPhone, uh, people congratulate them for how diverse those who speak on stage are, uh, the, the gender diversity, the racial diversity and so on. And it is diversity in an extent, but to an extent, but it, but it is it is skin deep because those people, if if you could see where where their homes were, they would live in similar types of homes in similar neighbourhoods. Uh, their standards of living would be largely the same. That their political views uh, probably identical. It's not like the true diversity that is found, or at least should be found in the church. As, as Merida puts it, only in the church would you have a poor person with no formal education yet mature in their faith, mentoring a brilliant doctor from a local university who just became a believer. Only in the church do you have true unity amidst diversity. Only in the church are, are worldly categories of, of status and importance turned around. Uh, and that, that is one of the proofs that Jesus is creating a new humanity. Think also of the impact that welcoming another person can have on the individual level. Think of a new person who nervously comes to church for the first time. Uh, and if you, if you don't know what that feels like, we, we have people here who can tell you from recent experience. But think of a new person coming in and perhaps what they hear preached is compelling to them. Not because it's a particularly good sermon perhaps, but, but because it's so different from everything else that they're hearing. 
It sounds so different from the world's way of looking at things. But then after the benediction, uh, many people just walk straight out. Uh, those who are left start speaking to one another. But, but the newcomer is left sitting by themselves awkwardly. And after a, a minute or two, which feels like an eternity, they just get up and walk out. Uh, rather th- than awkwardly keep sitting there in the hope that someone will come up to them. Now maybe that person will still go home with, with joy in their hearts because of what they've heard in the sermon. But I would suggest that it, it's not hugely likely Because the good news that was preached wasn't backed up by how the people who were meant to believe it interacted with one another and with visitors. Merida says a welcoming church not only preaches the gospel but also conveys the relational warmth of the gospel. So we're not just to preach the gospel but to convey the relational warmth of the gospel. Uh, which is obviously something that no no Zoom uh, service can do, no no video service can do. Uh, to become a Christian is to become part of a new family. It's suddenly to have all the other Christians in the world as your brothers and sisters. Uh, and Merida has a great illustration of this. He and his wife have adopted five children, four from Ukraine and one from Ethiopia. Uh, Joshua, their son from Ethiopia, had been with them for, uh, for four months when he experienced his first Christmas. Uh, the family drove to go and stay with grandparents and the house was packed with people. Joshua uh, was five years old at the time. He, he held his dad's hand. He, he carefully observed all the aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents. And then he looked up at his dad and he said, Dad, are all these people our family? And his father said, yes, son, they are. And it's the same in the church. Every time we come to church, we can say of our fellow believers, all of these people are our family. Even those, like the ones we may have in our own extended families, who may be hard to love. This is the clear picture of the church in the New Testament. The church is a family made up of people from different social and educational backgrounds, different ages, different races, but they all sit down at the same table and break bread with one another, as we will do next Lord's Day when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so a church where an orthodox gospel is preached, but where newcomers will receive an unenthusiastic welcome at best, It doesn't really convey the gospel, or at least it fails to convey the relational warmth of the gospel. And so visitors don't actually receive an accurate picture of what Christianity is like. And perhaps that calls for some self-examination for us as individuals as we prepare to sit around the Lord's table next week. Have we held to the true gospel while at the same time failing to convey the relational warmth of the gospel. What a tragedy when the true gospel is preached, but the relational warmth of the gospel is missing. 
But on the other side of the coin, what an opportunity there is to show a new person that there is something different going on here. It's rare that someone comes to church for the first time, hears a sermon and is converted. Often it's the impact of sermon after sermon as slowly, by God's grace, the Holy Spirit works and the penny drops. Someone might come into church and really struggle to make head or tail of the first sermon they hear. They might struggle to see what it's all about. But what they will see, what they will notice, what they will remember is whether people show care for them or not. And what they will see by God's grace is that there's a different sort of community here. And it's one that they are being invited into. And it might be that sense of community that keeps them coming long enough for them to be converted. And I think this is actually one of our real strengths as a congregation. For the recent presbytery visitation, I was asked about the spiritual state of the congregation. And one of the strengths that I pointed to was how... Uh, for example, when we have a church lunch, uh, nearly everyone comes uh, and how long people hang around for. And the same on a Sunday night when we can still be through in the hall an hour and a half after the service is over. Uh, uh, people genuinely wanting to spend time with one another. Uh, not in a rush away. Not doing it just because they feel like they should. Uh, don't underestimate that because it, it's not something that you can manufacture I've been part of churches that are two, two or three times the size of our congregation here uh, with far more resources. But the level of relational warmth, of genuine concern for one another, of enjoying being in one another's com company, it, it simply wasn't on the same level as what we have by God's grace. Uh, so, so be encouraged uh, and and let's continue to make this a priority. Uh, just as we draw things to a close this morning, pe people wonder why the church makes so little impact at times. Uh, I mean the church in general. Uh, one common answer is they're not taught Christianity in the schools. Uh, you know, that's something I certainly hear a lot but firstly, if Christianity isn't taught and lived out in the home, then whatever children are taught in schools isn't going to make much impact on them. Children, they see what their parents do, they see what their parents desire, they see what their parents love, uh, and that impacts them uh, more than anything else, uh, more even than what their parents say, uh, and, and certainly more than, than what a, a teacher in school might say. But secondly, it just seems a bit of an easy target to blame the schools. Should the schools be teaching Christianity? Absolutely. Uh, boys and girls, if your teachers in school don't talk about God, that's a really sad thing. Even if they're brilliant teachers otherwise, which they may be, because it shouldn't be like that. And those of us who, who are a bit older are sad about that because when we were at school... Uh, we had teachers who did talk about God and who did pray and we did sing praise to God in school and the Bible was read in school every day. So yes, the schools should be doing more, absolutely. It's a tragedy when they don't. 
But is that the real reason for the church's lack of impact? Could it be that the church isn't making much of an impact? Or at least could one of the reasons be that the, the church isn't making much of an impact because the, the, the radical, countercultural, welcoming family that the church is meant to be, it's just, it's just not seen. Because it doesn't actually matter how much Christianity someone is taught in school, if the first time they go into a church, someone tells them to get out of their pew and sit somewhere else. Obviously, churches which don't preach the gospel aren't going to make any impact. Uh, and uh, and that, that is the biggest tragedy. But all too often, the true gospel is preached in churches and we, we rejoice whenever it is. But the relational warmth of the gospel is missing. Uh, it might be painful for Christians in the UK to accept that at least one reason for uh, lack of impact is because of a pro- problem inside the church rather than outside it. It's always easier to, to blame factors outside. But actually, it, it would be a hope-giving thing because whatever the problem is, if the problem is in here rather than out there, then by God's grace, we are able to change it. Uh, and more and more to become fellowships of people who welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us and so bring glory to God. Amen. Well, let's now praise the God who has welcomed us in and through Christ by turning to the words of Psalm 65c. Psalm 65c, the first four verses on page 134. Psalm 65, the C version, the first four verses, page 134, singing in verse 3 of the God who chooses us and brings us near to him, the God who receives, welcomes and accepts us, and who in order that he might do this, first of all, covers our iniquities in verse 2 by the blood of Jesus Christ. So Psalm 65, C, 1 to 4, we'll stand to sing praise. <laughs> 